0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to um, Revelation chapter 14. We'll pick up in verse 6 where we left out last week. Welcome to those of you if it's your first time here. Those of you joining online, i are going to welcome you as well. Last week we talked about um, the blameless and how Um, you know, we have all of this stuff in chapter 13 about the mark of the beasts and all of these things going on, Um, all of this stuff to really, it's kind of intimidating. And then we get to the first five verses of chapter 14, and it sort of serves as uh, an encouragement to lift us up. And and so we further today, we kind of contrast um, the blameless with the wicked. And that's really all there are in um, in the world, like there's there's people who are blameless and there's people who are wicked, and the blamelessness um, that we we become how we become blameless is by walking uh, with the Lord. And so, since it's Halloween, I thought I'd tell you a Halloween story, a red dog story. <laughs> so red is he's he's just over a year old. He weighs probably somewhere around 120 pounds. He's strong as an ox. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to teach the dog different things. And they say it's good to expose them to different stuff so that they are, um, you know, they're, they're just kind of desensitized to things. So Red has, a, he does not bark like a normal dog. He does not bark like, woof, woof, or like, yep, yep, yep. He barks like, boo. And you can hear it from a mile away. So I noticed, and many of my frequent trips to Home Depot, people take their dogs in there. So I thought that'd be a good way to expose Red to something different. And so, man, he is so excited when I take him somewhere. Like Abby says, when I leave and don't take him, he looks out the window and opens the blinds and and whines, wanting, wanting to know why he didn't get to go. So I thought, I'll take him to Home Depot with me. So I, I did, and he was all excited, man. And he was looking around, and we were going back toward the very back section, back by the bathrooms, looking at some tile stuff. And, and man, they were, it was later at night, you know. It was like 9.15 or so. So they were, get, they were stocking. There were a lot of stockmen running around the store. And they were rolling carts around, and they'd be on the other aisle rolling these big carts around and making noise. And, boy, he'd... I that, oh, this is not good. I got to get this dog out of here. And um, so <laughs> I decided, I, I, I got what I needed to get, and I decided I was going to get back out of there. We, we came in, the construction interest on the south end of the store, at this store over here on 135th, and I noticed as we were going down the middle aisle, we were going to try to go down the middle aisle back toward the back of the, you know, where we came in, and there were a bunch of people down there and I could tell he was kind of fired up about several people being down there and I thought, well, it's late, there's probably no one at the front of the store. And so I made a right way down the plumbing aisle and proceeded to make a left and I was walking down through there and I looked up and all the Halloween stuff is out. And so we're coming by the house and he'll be fine. (laughs) We're coming by the Halloween stuff and there's a grim reaper there. And he's, he's really tall. And as we go by him, I did not know he's motion activated. And so we walk by the grim reaper, and he proceeds to say something. His eyes light up, and his his sickle comes out, and he comes down at us like that. And Red went, boom, boom. And his hair stood up. He almost knocked the whole aisle down. I thought, oh, they're going to kick me out of the store. And so it uh, it it was interesting, to say the least. And so evil often appears that way. It's terrifying. And to, to people, to humans, when we see evil in the world, we see evil things, we're really fascinated by it. Um, horror films and things of that nature can be really popular. Um, and and so we're intrigued by it, and it's, it's terrifying to us. And when we come to these things that talk about evil in the Bible, a lot of times it, it it can seem terrifying. And when we look at the world and we see the evil kind of being unleashed on the world and how things are going, it, it appears that it's, it's winning, but usually it appears that way. And it's terrifying because we don't have a full understanding of it. Um, Red did not understand that that thing was a decoration. Like to him, it was something coming after us. And to kids, it's the same way. They see that and it's, it's terrifying because they don't understand. They don't have a context to put it in. And sometimes when we, we approach evil, if we don't understand what's going on, it's terrifying. And so the, um, the Lord has given us the book of Revelation to help explain some of these things. Man, things in different periods throughout history, evil, like it will appear to be winning. But he wants us to be reminded that a second Sunday is coming. And what do I mean by a second Sunday? Well, when we look at Jesus in his first um, visit to the planet as God in the flesh, and he lived his life here, and he was achieving so many things, teaching something totally different than people had ever heard before, they approached the last um, days of his life, and on Friday, evil appeared to be winning and on Saturday, like they crucified the Lord, and on Saturday, he lay in a tomb, and evil appeared to be winning. There was no hope. The disciples were um, afraid for their lives, but then Sunday morning rolled around, and we see that Jesus conquered death, and so when I say a second Sunday is coming, I don't literally mean a a, a Sunday, but I do mean a second victory when Jesus will return to the planet and all that evil looks like it's being able to win and be victorious, the Lord will ride all of that. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. It's about the Lord um, returning to the planet and claiming it for himself. And so it's designed um, as we see that Jesus is the reaper and he will swing his sickle at some point in the future. And when he swings that sickle, and we look at that, we are not to be afraid. It's not, it's not to prompt in us a spirit of fear. As a matter of fact, it is to create in us a sense of urgency about the mission that we're on. And so as we unpack verses 6 through 20, we're going to see this being described, that that we take all that we learned about in chapter 13 about the evil side of things and the unholy trinity, um, the beast of the the sea and the beast of the land and the dragon, and we contrast that with Jesus and the holy trinity and the spirit and his people, and we see that Jesus returns to the planet and he corrects all of these evils um, that are being done uh, at, at this particular time and really they're happening in our day and age right now. Now, are they happening to the point where this is the time when Jesus will return? I don't know. Nobody knows when that time will be. But we can look back historically over time and we can see that every every age of the church, every age of humanity, there's been evil that has kind of doing its thing, and the church is doing its thing, and ultimately, when we get to the time prior to Christ's return, things will elevate at a very rapid pace, and, and things will get more and more evil, and it'll, the world will be more and more wicked prior to the return of Christ, and it will look like um, the church is being completely defeated, and the people of God are being completely defeated, and Christ will return and right it all. And so here's we, here we start in verse um, six, and we kind of see the Lord unpacking that. He says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. And a second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. And a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out or poured full strength into the cup of His wrath. And they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep His commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. And I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And they were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles, for a distance of sixteen hundred stadia. There's a lot going on in there, right? Uh, there's a different. There's a couple of different ways to approach this text, and and ways that are within inside the uh, pale of orthodoxy. They're they're not unchristian. You can make an interpretation on this based upon a futuristic, it's all future, um, or more of a symbolic approach where you see this as representing something. And neither, uh, I I wouldn't venture as far to say as uh, one is right and one is wrong. I I kind of wade through this stuff as I've told you all throughout this series. I said, man, I I have an approach where I kind of approach this. I look at it and I um, I read about all of these differing views, and I, I make an interpretation based upon how I feel like the Lord is leading me, and I don't want to be dogmatic in any of it. I, I think that there's a purpose behind it that is to teach us how to live in any age at any time, and ultimately that there is a, a future prophetic word for us about how things will play out in the end. And so i um, I don't want to, like, it would, take me, it would take me a few weeks to really teach you all of the differing views on this particular passage, uh, but just in a, in a nutshell, <laughs> a futurist would look at this and say these are two different judgments. There's a judgment that is happening when the first sickle is swung, and it is at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, and then there will be a second sickle that is swung, and it will be at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, and it will be what is known as Armageddon, where all of the uh, evil forces of the world, all of the people who are not a part of the kingdom come against Christ, and Christ um, ultimately is the victor. Uh, More of a symbolic approach is that both of these sickles are really um, describing the same thing. It's It's the last judgment. Uh, maybe maybe the first sickle is a judgment of the harvest of the believers because harvest terminology is always used in the bible of the believer and then the uh, second sickle that is talking about the reaping of the uh, grapes and the wrath of god is is for the unbeliever and so i could it certainly very well could be that way as well for me as i look at it um the differing views are not as important as what am I supposed to learn from this? How am I supposed to live? How does this speak to me in the age that I'm living in? Because I believe the word is supposed to, like, it speaks uh, to every age. Like when it talks about the city of Babylon, what the heck is the? What is Babylon? Why does Babylon have so much presence in um, the Old Testament or in the uh, Book of Revelation? Well, some believe that this will be an actual rebuilding of Babylon, or it could be Rome, uh, reinstitution of Rome. Certainly the people who received the letter when it was happening during its writing um, to the uh, first century Christians, they were being oppressed severely and persecuted by the Romans, and um, Babylon would be Rome. But if you study the term Babylon and you read in the Old Testament, Babylon is always the city of wickedness. And, and the kingdom of Christ is always the city of God. And so we start with a garden in Eden, in Eden in Genesis, and we end up with a city in Revelation. Whenever they built the Tower of Babel, that city was founded by a guy named Nimrod, who means a mighty hunter before the Lord. But he rebelled against God, and he led people in a humanistic religion, and they were trying to Um, like they were, they were looking at all that they could do without God. And God came down and he judged that. And that was the tower of Babel and Babylon came out of that. And throughout every age in the old Testament, when we see, we'll study, you study and you'll see Babylon is always the city of wickedness. And so as it's referred to in prophetic writings, it's always the city of wickedness. So Babylon exists in our day right now. And it doesn't necessarily mean the physical location of the city of Babylon, um, where it was historically. It means the wickedness that is led of the enemy that comes against all that is good and godly. And so as we approach this, um, and we think in terms of that, and we go, okay, how do we live in the midst of the Babylon that exists in our day and age? And how do we make sure that we are prepared if we are, in fact, living in the times right prior to the return of Christ? Um, which which could be the case. I don't, again, I don't know. Um, and here's, here's my takeaways from this that I hope are encouraging for you and will help you to live out your faith. First of all, the door of salvation is open. That's the first thing that we learn from verse 6. He says, I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. And so when we look at this, the eternal gospel is, is being proclaimed right now. Even today in what I'm doing, and there are churches all over the world that are meeting on a Sunday morning, and they're proclaiming the gospel. Now, not all of them are. Some of them are pro- proclaiming probably a heretical teaching, but there are many solid um, churches that are teaching and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. But the fact of the matter is, is that as every day passes, as every year closes, as every decade ends, that door is closing a little bit more. And Jesus said this in the Olivet Discourse, which is a prophetic um, teaching that he made in Matthew chapter 24. And by the words of Christ, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so ultimately, as we progress down through life, what is happening is the gospel will continue to be proclaimed, and it has never been proclaimed like it, ha- it is today. I mean, just think of it, a, a small ministry like ours that the Lord is certainly working in, um, people like every week are coming in, there's somebody here today, their first time here, they found us online, we're, we're simulcasting the messages live right now, they're going out and people in anywhere in the world right now could watch a sermon from OPCC. Now, that's happening among churches everywhere. In the U version is an app. There's all kinds of Bible apps that you can get on your phone. You can download the Word of God. There's, there's video teaching, and, and the Word is going out. It's being proclaimed. It's being proclaimed all over the world. And, and the Lord himself, and John, um, whom knew the Lord intimately and receives this vision from the Lord, says that, man, the, the, the eternal gospel will be preached uh, to the whole world, and then the end would come. And so um, when Jesus says this in Matthew 24, what's really interesting is he says that there will be during that time many false teachers. There will be uh, an increase of wickedness, and people's love will grow cold toward one another. And now, (laughs) looking at, at the time that I've been on the planet, that has increased the wickedness that exists on the world today, the the wickedness that exists in the country that we live in, in my lifetime has significantly increased. The deceitful teaching that exists in my lifetime has significantly increased. And people's love getting colder is significantly increasing. And it continues to increase. And the Bible goes on to say in other passages Peter talks about, um, they will be lovers of selves. The most popular photograph in our day and age is called a selfie, right? Because people are consumed with themselves. So is, was Jimmy saying right now that, man, all the things that Jesus said would happen, they're happening right now in our lifetime? No, Jimmy is not saying that, but Jimmy is saying only a fool would ignore all that. Like we got to look and go, what is going on around me? Oh, what does all of this mean? There's a word here for me that is speaking to me about what is happening and the Bible is incredibly relevant. And the, and the Lord says, man, the door of salvation is open, but it will one day close. And everyone makes a decision about the gospel, regardless of whether you try to just say, well, I'm going to be indifferent about that. You have made a decision that is a rejection. To be indifferent about the gospel is a decision to reject it. The only decisions that you can make are one that, where you affirm that the gospel is true. You recognize that you are a sinner, that Jesus was God in the flesh. He came to die on the cross of Calvary as the perfect sacrifice to forgive you of your sins, and he became a recompense. He, was a, um, he propitiated our sins. He took our sins away from us and he put his um, covering over us and there, so that God the Father, when he looks at us, he sees that covering of his sons, and we are now blameless in his sight. Those are the only alternatives. Either a person's blameless or they're wicked. You, you see, so this is hard for us, okay? The Bible uses this language, and I don't want you to use it, but I want you to understand it. Remember, we're trying to understand um wickedness, so that we're not afraid of it, and we have a good understanding of what's going on. If you have people in your life that do not know Christ personally, they are wicked. They don't have to look like um, what, we, what what we would classify as wicked. A person is wicked simply because they don't know Jesus. Before I knew Jesus, I was wicked. Once I knew Jesus, I'm blameless. And it's not based upon anything that I've done. It's based on everything that he's done. So all of humanity throughout time... It is based, uh, wh- whether a person is wicked or blameless, is based solely on what they do with the eternal gospel. It was there before the foundation of the world. God knew what he was going to do, how he was going to offer salvation to humanity. And so when we look out at the world and we're looking at the people that we're doing life with, we need it in the back of our minds. We don't need to be thinking when somebody does something and we go, oh, that old wicked individual. <laughs> but we do need to be thinking. As we're interacting with people, the Lord either sees this person as in the kingdom and blameless or wicked. And I need to see them that way. And I don't need to see them that way for the sake of judgment. It is in order for us to have a response of urgency about the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. You do not have to be seen by God as wicked. You can be seen as blameless. That's the gospel, and so as we begin to understand what's happening around us, then it it, it creates um, a sense of urgency inside of us, and our response should be verse seven: we should worship the waymaker. And so we don't go around telling everybody they're wicked; we go around worshiping and and response to the fact that we recognize we're blameless in a, in a world of wickedness at which we used to be. Um, wicked we were apart from God we were enemies of his we were dead in our sins and trespasses but now we are blameless because we have come to the knowledge of the eternal gospel and the Lord has forgiven us and so we respond and worship the Waymaker. and he says he said this this God this angel that is proclaiming the eternal gospel he said in a loud voice fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come worship him He says, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And so we are people who are to be consumed with the creator, not the creature. And that's the difference between the city of God and the city of Satan. The city of Satan is filled with citizens who are consumed by the creature. And the city of God is consumed with the creator. And and as we walk through life, we need to understand, and the reason I want to kind of paint that picture of understanding that people are either blameless or they're wicked, is again, not to um, uh, put us in a place where we're casting judgment on people, it is to help us to understand what what we're dealing with in people. We're dealing with people who are consumed with the creature, who's described as the beast, the, the city of Babylon that is filled with wickedness. And so as people we love, like we're not talking about, when I use the term wickedness as I'm using it today, I'm not talking about people that we, uh, from, a, from a humanistic viewpoint, would describe evil and wickedness. I'm talking about good people. I'm talking about people who do good things and I'm talking about people who you would willingly say, man, take care of my kids. Uh, watch my house when I'm gone. Can you do this for me? We're talking about people that we love. We're not talking about um, people that, that we don't trust. We're talking about people that we trust. They're just apart from God. And if they're apart from God, they're blameworthy. All of their sin remains and that puts them in the camp of wickedness. And so we have to have a sense of urgency about us and recognize what we're dealing with, and it should prompt a greater urgency within each of us to worship the Waymaker. Paul said it this way in Romans 1, verse 25. He says, They, speaking of people who are part of wickedness, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And so as we're dealing with these people that we love that are good people, okay, we have to understand that they are people who are intoxicated by created things. And our objective as citizens of the city of God is to help them see the creator before they die or the reaper returns. That's what we do. And so we worship the Waymaker, and we consistently are finding ways to stretch in our worship of the Waymaker, the creator of the universe. And as we consistently walk that out, we're trying to use our lives as a testimony to Jesus that others will see that we're worshiping the creator and not the, the created things. And so, like, now you just stop and look at your life and you begin to measure it, and, and I have to do the same thing, man. I was I was driving down the road, I was thinking about this message yesterday. I was thinking about, man, how much am I doing to really um, be concerned and worship the Waymaker in a way that when I am around other people who are a part of the city of Babylon, they can see that I worship the creator, not the creature. Because, man, the, the city of Babylon is filled with citizens who are, for the most part, deceived. That's what the devil is, is he is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. Um, Jesus described him in this way over and over again. And so I have to understand, and you have to understand as believers, that we worship the waymaker with every ounce of energy because people who drink the wine of spiritual adultery will drink the wine of wrath now you're not going to go into many churches today and hear this but here at, at opcc one thing we're committed to is the word of god and as we we walk through the word of god and it teaches us things we unpack it and we let it speak to us and we don't try to make it fit a popular context so that we can grow our church because it's not our church. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will grow it as he sees fit. And we will teach and preach the word of God. And as we come across this verse here in verse eight, it says that a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great, that city of sin. She is fallen. She will be judged, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means that um, in the Bible, like you will read, Israel as a nation in the Old Testament before Jesus comes, they were often referred to as adulters. And what, now, it, it, it's not talking about. Sexual adultery it's talking about spiritual adultery. They got involved in idol worship and committed adultery against God who created them, God who laid out a law for them. and so whenever it talks about um, the city of Babylon and she made drunk her citizens on uh, and help and they and led them into adultery. What it means is people are committing adultery on the creator of the universe and that's why the blameless who are part of the city city of God, they're citizens of the kingdom, they're referred to as the bride of Christ and Jesus is referred to the groom and he is returning to the planet for the great marriage supper of the Lamb where he will receive his bride and all of her purity that he has made her pure and they will be united to go throughout each Eternity with one another. And so we need to understand that here we're seeing that this wine, it says, because it goes on to say that if they drink, if, if they drink uh, that wine, let me read it again. It says, made all the nations drink the maddening wine of our adulteries. Verse 9 says, a third angel followed and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image, again, people caught up in the created things and receives the mark on their forehead or on their hand. Everybody's looking for, is this a computer chip? Is this a mark on your forehead or your hand? No, this is how your heart is sealed. Is it sealed toward God, or is it sealed toward the creature? Is it sealed toward the city city of God, or the city of Babylon? And, and just like the, the, we are sealed with the Spirit, and then and this determines that people are sealed in a place of unbelief, and it says that if they are found there, they too will not only drink of the the, the um, maddening wine of uh, of Babylon, they will drink the wine uh, of drink, they will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of His wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Now notice this wine is full strength. It's the word akratos, and it means unmixed. So during biblical times when they would make wine, they would mix it with water so that it was more palatable. It wasn't as strong, and, and um, it, it just was a good stewardship of of the harvest that they had. It would go longer, it tasted better, and they would dilute it down with water. And so when it uses this word that it is full strength, it is the word unmixed. What is it unmixed with? It is the full wrath of God unmixed with grace and mercy. There's no grace in it. There's no mercy in it. Even people who are citizens of the city of Babylon today have no idea what that, nobody knows what that is like. Nobody knows what the full power of the wrath of God being poured out, unmixed with grace and mercy. Like that's, man, I don't even like to think about that. As a matter of fact, when we look at the word, it is the most detestable doctrine that we find in Scripture. It's the doctrine of hell, an eternal separation from God. C.S. Lewis, a great uh, philosopher of the last century said that he would willingly remove that doctrine from the Bible if he could. But it's there. It's it's just there. And it's not there because I want it there. It's there because God said it was there. And the question is not whether hell is detestable. It is. The question is, is it true? And if everything else we believe about Jesus is true, then the things that the Bible talks about Hell is true. You might find this interesting. Jesus spoke about Hell more than any other person in the New Testament. <laughs> That's wild. Now, why is it um, why is it that we shy away from it so much? Well, probably because there have been times in the past in the church where Hell was used as a doctrine, To scare. But Jesus and the word is not teaching us and sharing about hell to scare, but to rescue. That's the whole, like he's saying, man, anybody who's a part of the citizen and they're a citizen of Babylon and they're not a citizen of the kingdom of God, they will drink the full, the unmixed full cup. Of God's wrath as it is poured out on the planet and so he's trying to get us into a place of urgency and he he doesn't want to uh, share to scare but to share to get us into a place where we've got a, a mindset of rescue because if you die in the Lord you rest and your deeds will follow you that's what verse 13 teaches us verse 13 says then I heard a voice from heaven say write this Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, I would encourage you to note that it does not mean, it does not say that your deeds precede you. And that's a lot of mis, that's a lot of heretical teaching is that you, you get to heaven by how you live your way, your life on earth. It doesn't say your deeds precede you. It says they follow you. And why do they follow you? They follow you because your life is one that has been marked by the Spirit. You are sealed of God and your life now represents all that a citizen of the kingdom's life is supposed to represent. And so as you walk out in obedience, the thing that God calls you to do on a daily basis, he will call you to obedience. And as you walk that obedience out, then it is tested by fire. Paul says. That that some of it will be tested and it will be wood, hay, and stubble. It will burn up. It's meaningless. There are parts of our lives as citizens of the kingdom that are not eternal and they will perish in the judging judgment fire of Christ when he looks at his bride. But then there are also parts of our lives that are um, gold, silver, precious stone and they will be refined. And so whatever they are that was valuable to the kingdom as I was alive will be even more brilliant going forward as I present them to the Lord Jesus Christ as as an offering of what my life represented. And so my deeds will follow me based on who I was in Christ, not what I did for Christ. And my deeds will not, like, your deeds will never get into heaven unless you get in there. And they will follow you in. It doesn't matter. Listen to me, okay? (sighs) It doesn't matter how much good you do. It doesn't matter how many people you help. It doesn't matter how much money you give. The only thing that matters is do you know Jesus? You will never impress the Lord with your deeds. But if you know Jesus, your deeds will follow you into the kingdom. And that's what the Lord is trying to say. You will rest from your labor and your deeds that you did from the Lord will follow you. So the Lord doesn't like all the funny jokes we've told all our lives. The guy was in that, at heaven's gate and St. Peter said, why should you, I let you in? Look, there's not going to be a why. The sickle is going to be swung. And the fire of God is going to fall, and immediately you will be in or out. Like whether or not you getting in or out is determined right now as you draw a physical breath and what you decide to do with the eternal gospel. Either you are blameless and you receive Christ and He becomes Lord and Savior, or you are a citizen of the city of Babylon apart from God. And so we have to understand that our, our deeds do not precede us. They follow us, and we must first be in the Lord for our deeds to make a difference. Otherwise, we're no different than people. like. <laughs> not only are we no different, we are citizens of Babylon. If you are trying to, to, if you're trying to please God based on the number of good things you do, your theology is totally messed up. The only thing that God is pleased with is the sacrifice of himself on the cross of Calvary, and a willing faith to believe that. And then, once you're in Christ, you are able to abide in the Lord and produce fruit out of your life, fruit that will last So now your deeds follow you because you are in the Lord. And so we've got to be certain that our kids don't think that you get into the kingdom because of what you do or because you go to church, because you belong to OPCC. Like, it is none of that. You get into the kingdom because you belong to Jesus. And you either do or you don't belong to Jesus. And right now, you either know that you do or you know that you don't. And if there's questions, there shouldn't be. There just shouldn't be no question in my life as to whether or not I belong to Jesus. He owns me. And so like, I am not a citizen of the city of Babylon, and I'm trying to walk out and be humble before him and do what he asked me. And so what we need to recognize is many good people will die outside of the Lord because they never knew him. That's why Jesus said, man, many people will come up to me and say, didn't we do this in your name? And, And didn't we do that in your name? And didn't we have all of this form of godliness? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. And ultimately, that's what a believer's life is all about, is rescue the perishing and care for the dying, because Jesus will swing his sickle. That's the big idea. The day will come, man, when Jesus will swing the the sickle, and there is a harvest coming for Christ, and it will be that second Sunday that I talked about. Could it happen in our lifetimes? Yes. If it doesn't happen in our lifetimes, we will die in the Lord and our deeds will follow and we will still be measured when that sickle is swung. Okay. So here's the thing. What we're learning is that he, the scripture says of Jesus, he had no place to lay his head. And when he swings the sickle, he will take possession of the earth. The earth does not belong. God created the earth but God has not redeemed the earth yet. He has died and purchased it, but he hasn't taken possession of it. And so for for us, what that looks like um, as humans and citizens of the kingdom of God, he he has purchased my soul and he's redeemed my soul spiritually. And now I am alive in Christ. I was dead in my sins and trespasses as a citizen of the city of sin, the city of Babylon. And once I turned toward Christ as a sacrifice for my sins and called upon the name of the Lord, I was saved. And he forgave me of my sins. And so he propitiated my sins. He took them away based on what he did. His work on the cross of Calvary. And when he did that, he redeemed me spiritually. And so now the Spirit of God lives inside of me and Jesus describes me and you as as believers, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I have been redeemed spiritually. But when Jesus swings the sickle over the planet, he will redeem me physically. And I will live eternally in a glorified physical body As you're looking at right now, the one just like Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. You see, to die today, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that's not the end. Like I rest in the Lord until the final trumpet sounds and Jesus returns. And when he returns, my body will be resurrected just like Jesus' body was resurrected. That's basic Christianity. And my soul that is resting with the Lord, so all those who have already gone on to be with the Lord and they're resting with the Lord right now, they are with him in paradise as the thief on the cross. Whenever, Whenever Jesus swings the sickle man... Their souls will be reunited with their bodies when we get, and we're going to take a little break from Revelation to go through in November, but when we get through here, this, this is sort of an announcement of all that is coming, and we're going to see how Babylon falls in chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, on through the end of Revelation, and we'll see that when we get to the end, man, as Jesus takes possession of the planet, he recreates it. And so we don't live out there somewhere. We live here in perfection. And that is like that's that is the story of Christianity. And and so he who had no place to lay his head will take possession of the earth. And the term that is used here for ripe is actually overripe. It's rotten. It's, It's fruit that has hit the ground. It's good for nothing. And when Um, the world gets to that place. The idea is that the time will come to judge the rottenness of wickedness that exists on the planet. And when people are intoxicated by the creature instead of the creator, they are drunk on bad wine. You say, well, what what am I supposed to do? The same thing you would do for someone who loves you and calls you in a drunken stupor you sacrifice your life and you go over and you sit with them and you do whatever is necessary to help them sober up. So as believers, the Lord is calling us to put on the spiritual coffee, man, and help people sober up to the truth that they're intoxicated by the creature. They're not focusing on the creator and life is messed up when we live that way. And so that's what we do, man. We, we live and we worship the Waymaker, And we realize, man, people that are around us, we don't make judgments on them. We don't tell them how wrong they are. We're not bad. We, we recognize they're being deceived. And I have been enlightened by the truth of the eternal gospel that I've said yes to. And my job is to walk out my obedience here on the planet and help others come to that place of awakening in their own lives. And whatever you do, don't get distracted and start drinking the maddening wine of babylon you see, it will ruin your life it will ruin your life it'll cheapen like it will cheapen your walk with the lord and you have to understand that this is being written to believers remember we go back to the letters to the seven churches and they're dealing with sin in the church And so for every age, this is applicable. And for our age, the Lord would be saying to us, man, don't get your life be um, consumed by the things of the creature. The pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of experiences apart from me, um, like let your life be consumed with me. And when it is, Things will begin to fall in place. And no matter how difficult it gets, and no matter how much Babylon seeks to oppress you, because here's the thing, man as the closer we get to the time of Christ's return, the more that Babylon will try to crush believers. That's where we're headed. And so if we're living in that time and it seems like, man, it's getting harder and harder to believe in Jesus, it's gonna get a lot worse. And you got to know what you believe, know why you believe it, be secure in your faith, and you need to help your kids do the same thing, man. Because if not, they're going to drink the maddening wine of Babylon. And that's not like, man, that's, a, that's just a, it's a lie. And so may we receive the Word of God. May we be, um, may we be open <laughs> to what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. And may in all of us, like myself included, May we be urgent about the gospel that is eternal and changes the destiny of all men. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that it would speak to us, Lord, in such a way that it shapes our lives. That we're listening and we're walking in obedience to the places that you call us to. Thank you for this group of people, Lord, who craves to hear the truth of your word. I know you have other sheep, Lord, that are not part of the fold yet. And I pray that they would find us. (laughs) I pray that you would draw them to this place and you would establish a church, Lord, that stands as one that is building the city of God. And that we honor your word, we let it speak to us, and we walk in faith. But not by sight. As you remain in a spirit of prayer, before I turn the service over to Sean, Sh- I do want to encourage you, man. Maybe the Lord has got a hold of you and you're like, I, I think I need to say yes to the good news of the gospel. Listen, that's, that is a commitment that only you can make. That is a prayer that only you can pray. You don't come pray with me and I say a special prayer, a blessing over your life. You, it's your life And you're the only one that can give it to Jesus. And so you could do that right there where you're sitting and just pray a prayer of repentance. Tell the Lord you recognize, man, that you're a sinner that needs to be saved. If you're watching online, you could do it in your home, wherever you're at, man, you can pray a prayer of confession. And it's also a laying down of your life that you start walking in obedience. And Jesus becomes Lord. If you have questions, you'd like to visit about it, man, we're always an email or a phone call away. So I would encourage you to reach out. But as Sean leads us in this time of worship, the altars are open. If you'd like to come forward and pray, either myself or Shay will come pray with you. I encourage you to do that. But know, man, that you'll never regret nailing down your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.